Well, howdy, Huda Thunkers. This is the host of the Huda Thunkin' Podcast, Zeb, coming at you. Episode 150, titled Space Poop. Uh, but there's a little bit more to it. <laughs> we'll get into that in a bit. First, the recommendation segment where I recommend you, the listener, uh, to check something out. Try it. Try an experience. This week, I recommend you make something from scratch. Last week, I saw a YouTube video of a guy making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich completely from scratch. He baked the bread. He made the jam in his stovetop thingy. He, you know, made his own peanut butter. It was cool. It looked fun. It looked delicious. So I gave it a try. I got Shannon to help me, a.k.a. Shannon did most of the technical and difficult stuff. And basically, when I when I say I got Shannon to help me, I convinced convinced her that it would be fun for her to do it. And I would help and support her as best I can. I'm horrible at making food, and my attention span just goes all over the place. <laughs> but Shannon did it, and I helped her, and I did, I did help in, in many ways. It was fun. Um, I post about it on Facebook. People are like, how was it? And I was like, well takes 12 hours at least in the fridge for this jam to set so i'll let you know tomorrow and then tomorrow came and went and <laughs> the first attempt at making jam turned out to be more like a blackberry flavored rock it, <laughs> it was so solid i remember i was working from home shannon was too yesterday she came up she's like honey the jam is it's 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 too hard and i, I thought to myself well i'll go check it out it's probably not too bad i went down and poked it and it gave not at all it was like a jolly rancher and i was thinking how are we going to get this out of this glass jar that we have so but we figured it out uh jam 2.0 2.0 came out great and this is how you make a pb and j oh my goodness i tried the first pb and j from scratch made by shannon and i this morning i made one <clears throat> I was going to make one for Shannon for her lunch because she goes into the office today, but she already packed her lunch. But she did have a bite of mine and she was like, oh my gosh, that was her reaction. This is how you make a PB&J. I put videos on our, my YouTube account. I also put it on Facebook. You know, it was, it was fun. The coolest discovery was how easy it is to make your own peanut butter, uh, which is much less sweet than store peanut butter. I remember as a kid, I think it was my grandfather was trying to explain that peanut butter is really difficult and it takes a whole lot of peanuts to make one you know, jar of peanut butter, but really it's not that difficult. Go to the store, buy some peanuts, you know, um, Spanish peanuts are the best if you can get them, but they're more rare. So I just bought regular runners peanuts, regular, they look like cashews, they're like off-brand Aldi cashews. I took them, put them on a sheet, baking sheet, sprayed them out, put them in the oven for 350 degrees Fahrenheit for 30 minutes, then put them in a blender on high for, it said 10 minutes, but I did a little less than 10 minutes. It was just creamy as heck. It's delicious. It's not sugary as hell. It's just peanuts blended, and it's delicious. If you want something to be sweet, you can add the sweetness to it. Like, the jam is perfect. The jam is super sweet. You have to put so much sugar in jam. It's disgusting. But <laughs> I think it was like, it was like an entire big bowl of sugar was added to, like, three like 500 grams of berries. It was crazy how much sugar. So with that much sugar, you don't need sugar in your peanut butter, and it made it taste great. Careful, though, when you're blending peanuts, when you take them out of the blender, they're hot as hell. That oil and all that friction from the blender, I was like, let me just take my finger. I turned the blender off. I didn't stick my hand in a moving blender, but turned the blender off, put my finger in, scooped it, and was like, this is so hot. So be careful with that. I burned my finger a little bit. But yeah, pick up your favorite snack, Pick a favorite snack of yours. Look up how to make it from scratch, each component. And, you know, bonus points if you make it with someone you love. It's really fun and delicious. And now I know how to make peanut butter that's not super sugary. I have pictures on the blog of each thing. 
There was a picture of jam. It was a super beautiful picture. I got flowers in the background, but that is in fact the jam that turned into rock and we didn't actually eat. So <laughs> I think that's funny. Uh, but yeah, enjoy. Now for the main event. <clears throat> Episode number 87 of this podcast titled, Where Does Our Poop Go? examined where human waste ends up down here on Earth. This episode, today, episode 150, I wanted to look into a question <clears throat> that randomly popped into my head the other day. How do astronauts poop? Where does all of their bodily waste go? That's the question. Now, warning from here on out that... Just a moment. <clears throat> I need to take a drink. Just a moment. It's all that homemade peanut butter really sticks in the back of the throat there. <laughs> Fair warning here. This episode will contain language and topics meant for adults. Listener discretion is advised. So this one is not clean. It's an episode where I like to curse. It makes it, I had so much, so many giggles making this episode. <laughs> so warnings out of the way. General idea of what it's about out of the way. When we shit or piss down here on Earth, it usually goes in one direction down. Thanks to gravity, our waste is pushed down and away from the rest of our bodies. For eons, we humans popped squats in the woods or on the savanna, and now most of us use the toilet. Both methods require gravity for your, your poop and your pee to go down. But for someone in zero gravity, they can't rely on that downward force to make sure their waste goes down the drain. Your average toilets don't work in space plain and simple sure if you have a nice solid shit there's there's like less mess you know it, it, it's just you gotta catch it but what if you and the crew <laughs> just had space chimichangas the night before you don't want all that nasty mess watery mess floating around you and getting into all that expensive space equipment can't happen it's a big problem Back in the beginning of space travel when toilets were the least of everyone's problems over at nasa the first american mission Oh, I just scrolled way past where I needed to go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the first American mission in space didn't even have a plan for a bathroom break. It was in 1961 when Alan Shepard became the first American to go to space. It was supposed to be a very short trip, you know, not much going on. <clears throat> so Mission Command didn't even bother with a bathroom plan. They didn't... <laughs> What if Alan's got to take a piss, Bob? Well, screw Alan. He's the one going into space. He's the lucky one. I don't care. <laughs> but anyway, I like to think that's the conversation that went on back command as someone asked about what if this guy has to pee. <laughs> but they didn't plan for it. It was supposed to be a very short mission. Command didn't even bother to come up with a plan. When launch was held back, held up for, you know, over three hours, though, it was supposed to be short. But now you're adding over three hours after Alan had already got into the rocket and strapped himself in. He radios says, hey, can I pee? And they were like, dang it. <laughs> Mission Command found it would actually cost a whole lot of money for them to let him out of the rocket, go pee, and then start the whole process again that already was delayed three hours before. They concluded that he could just piss himself inside his spacesuit. <laughs> I like that little history tidbit. The first mission to space is like, guys, it's taking a while. Can I pee? And they're like, just pee in your pee in your suit. You'll be fine. The first American in space did the thing. He went to space with piss sloshing around his toes in his spacesuit. I love that. <laughs> Jump to the year 2000. A space toilet was invented for American astronauts, though it was only designed for men. It was later used by women as well, though they had to awkwardly like pee standing up. You know, they had to pee in a thing that was made for dudes. So that kind of sucks for women astronauts. To take a dump 
They had a pretty standard toilet, but with straps on the side to keep the astronauts' asses tighter to the toilet rim, creating a seal so none of the, the shit got out of the toilet. This model was flawed. It didn't work very well, and it wasn't a fun job to clean this bad boy. <laughs> the strap-in toilet. <clears throat> I like how NASA's like, hey, we're doing longer missions. We got to come up with a with a crapper, a space crapper. What do you got? You, go ahead, Jimmy. Jimmy goes, ah, boss, I got a toilet. He goes, okay, cool. But we put straps on it. <laughs> Jimmy, that works. I love it. It's simple. Let's do it. Run it. <laughs> it's just a toilet with a strap. <clears throat> the toilets used today, though, are meant for women and men, so they're more comfortable for everyone around. Um, directly from buffalo.edu, in 2018, NASA spent over $23 million on a new and improved toilet. You can download the PDF with the link I put on the blog. For astronauts on the International Space Station to get around the problems of zero-gravity bathroom breaks, the new toilet is a specially designed vacuum toilet. There are two parts, a hose with a funnel at the end for peeing and a small raised toilet seat for pooping. I have pictures. It looks horrible. It doesn't look like you're homey. Like, whenever you take a dump at home, you're like, I'm at home. I'm safe, good. Even if you don't have the best bathroom, maybe you're living in an apartment that doesn't have the, the most spacious bathroom, whatever. It's your home. You feel homey. When I look at the picture <laughs> of this space toilet, it looks like, <laughs> I don't know, it looks like you're under a microscope or something. It's just, I don't know, it's like pooping experiment. When that, which it, this pooping is kind of an experiment. I'll talk about that in a little bit. When the astronauts go to use this high-tech toilet, they have to strap down their hands and legs so they don't drift away mid-dump or mid-piss, which I find funny. <laughs> they have to strap in. To piss, they... <laughs> I'm sorry. To piss, they just pick up the funnel around their naughty bits. And <laughs> I wrote this. I don't... <laughs> okay. They pick up the funnel and press it around their naughty bits and press hard enough to their skin so that no piss leaks out. To, to shit. <laughs> to, to shit, they lift up. They lift the lid of the most expensive toilet ever created and sit down. As soon as the lid is lifted, the toilet begins suction to make sure no shit particles escape and to keep the smell to a minimum, <laughs> which makes sense. Space toilets have a smaller hole than the ones down here on Earth, and that is to make sure the seal between the toilet seat and the ass is more secure. <laughs> I I read all these, I read a couple articles about space toilets, and it's all like, you know, fecal matter, and, you know, the astronaut's bum or rear end. I'm just, I'm just like, I'm gonna write it the way I wanna write it. You know, keep their ass sealed to the shitter. <laughs> I feel so immature writing and doing this episode, but it's fun. So anyway. <clears throat> So that's how toilets are done. That's how the deed is done. So I know what you're thinking. Zeb, this is great stuff. I love hearing about this shit in space and how it's done. It's a great topic. But I want to know more. I need to know what happens to it. Well, have no fear, Huda Thunker. But first, a quote. A quote from the lady who wrote the, the main article that I use most of the sources from. If you've ever seen a shooting star, it might have been a meteorite burning up in Earth's atmosphere. Or it might have been flaming astronaut poo. <laughs> that was written by Tracy Gregg. Now, first, let's talk about the piss. Where does it, where does it go? Where's the waste go? First, let's talk about the piss. Okay, so piss is 90% water, right? And to transport anything to space, to the International Space Station, for example, costs a lot of money. Can you see where I'm going with this? Like, if you need to get water to the International Space Station, it's 
insanely expensive. And they're already pissing something out that's 90% water. Here's the direct quote from the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA, themselves. An astronaut on the International Space Station requires about one gallon of water each day and at $83,000 per gallon to lift into space, the costs can quickly add up. It's approximately $500,000, a half a million dollars per day to supply water to a crew of six astronauts on the International Space Station using launch vehicles for resupply. Highly, er, high costs have driven NASA to develop and utilize systems that recycle water in space. Huh? See where I'm going? All astronaut pee is collected and turned back into clean, drinkable water. Astronauts say that today's coffee is tomorrow's coffee. When you think about it, it makes perfect sense. They drink their own recycled pee, and that is precisely what any human would need to do on a long-distance space mission. So there you go. That's what happens to the pee. You end up drinking it. <laughs> now for the space shit. On occasion, they will bring astronaut crap back to Earth to be studied. Astronauts are above Earth's protective magnetic field and therefore are subject to a lot more cosmic radiation. That fact, coupled with the fact that scientists would literally study anything, is why they might study astronaut shit. But, but for the most part, space poop is burned. Their shit, along with all wipes, toilet paper, and gloves gets vacuumed up into plastic waste bags that are then put into airtight sealed containers. The gloves, by the way, if you heard me say gloves there, yeah, I did. The gloves, apparently, <laughs> a space thing. Uh, glo Zero G makes wearing gloves a necessity for shitting in space, apparently. So <laughs> I was like, did I read gloves? And I was like, dude, and I Googled, <laughs> my Google search history is, do astronauts wear gloves whilst shitting? <laughs> and they do. The, the airtight containers that they put all their, their waste, their teepee and everything in are loaded onto a special spacecraft that was just used to bring supplies to the space station. That poop-filled spacecraft is then shot back to Earth, but not with the intent of landing. No, the spaceship or space shit, <laughs> a little play on words there, is intentionally burned up in Earth's atmosphere. So... I have an image here, and the image that I found had a good caption. It, it's an image of this spacecraft. looks relatively simple, just, you know, very simple. The image above is of Russian's Progress spacecraft. These spacecrafts bring... Uh, these spacecraft bring supplies to the International Space Station and take on... So they bring supplies up, and they deliver it. The astronauts take the supplies out of these little Russian Progress spacecrafts, and now it's empty, right? What do they fill it with? They fill it with their act, their literal crap, and <laughs> and then they take this space, this space shit, the spacecraft shit, <laughs> spacecraft filled with shit, and then they put it down to Earth. They, I mean, very simplistically, they push it back, <laughs> and then that gets burned up in the atmosphere. So. There is a decent chance, like that quote I read, you might see a shooting star, it might be a meteorite, or it might be the burning up of a spacecraft whose entire purpose was to deliver food and then take space shit and just burn up in the atmosphere. You might be seeing a shooting space shit, <laughs> not, a, not, a, not a shooting star. So <laughs> I love that. That's great. That was going to be the end of the episode, but there's a couple other things, and it gets a little bit more mature the farther we get down here. Vox, which is a pretty cool um, news source, they did an article titled, Apollo astronauts left their poop on the moon 
we got to go back for that shit. The article has some cool insights, like I think really scientifically cool insights into space shit. The article has some cool insights, and I thought it was interesting. So here, here's the premise. It's been, and these, this is a direct quote from Vox's article that I just read off. Also, you can click the link in multiple places on the blog, so I'm not trying to steal it from them, uh, but they, they said it better than I could. It's been nearly 50 years since Apollo 11 moon landing. Neil Armstrong's iconic footprint is still there, undisturbed. There's no atmosphere, no wind on the moon to blow it. But the bigger human footprint on the moon is arguably the 96 bags of human waste left behind by the six Apollo missions that landed there. Yes, our brave astronauts took dumps on their way to the moon, perhaps even on the moon, and they left behind their diapers in baggies on humanity's doorstep to the greater cosmos. The bags have lingered there, and no one knows what has become of them. Now scientists want to go back and answer a question that has profound implications for our future explorations of Mars. Is anything alive in them? Is anything alive in those bags? Human feces can be disgusting, uh, but they're also teeming with life. Around 50% of their mass is made up of bacteria representing some of the 1,000 plus species of microbes that live in your gut. And a piece of poop lives a whole wondrous ecosystem. Planet Earth has hosted this life and so much more for upward of two, or sorry, 3.9 billion years. The moon, as far as we know, has been sterile and lifeless that whole time. With the Apollo 11 moon landing, we took microbial life on Earth to the most extreme environment it has ever been in. Which means the human feces, along with bags of urine, food, waste, vomit, and other waste in the bags, which also might contain microbial life on the moon, represent a natural though unintended experiment huh pretty cool that is the gist of it they go they go into the logistics for both the possible outcomes the bacteria in those poop bags on the moon is alive or the bacteria is not alive and you know what's the science or what what's more likely they also talk about what this means for the future missions to mars on the hopes of colonization and the possible insights the moon poop could give in relation to the beginning of life on earth Huh? Was life on Earth started by an alien civilization that just popped by and dropped a bag of their shit off billions of years ago? Who knows? You know, see, you didn't think space poop could be this interesting, did you? But it's a cool idea. 50 years ago, we dropped Apollo poop bags on the moon. And it wouldn't it be cool if we could just retrieve those, take a look at them, see if anything is in there is still alive. And if so, has the cosmic radiation caused them to mutate or change or whatever? Or maybe it's all dead. You know, that, that we could also learn something from that. So I thought that was a really cool article. I read that. Um, I just gave a summation here on this podcast, but go check it out. Like I said, I'm going to read the title again since I read the whole dang thing. Um, it is Apollo astronauts left their poop on the moon. We gotta go back for that shit by Vox. Check it out. Now, here's for the most mature part. The last section of this episode isn't necessarily about poop. This is the most n mature section of the episode where before I was just using words like shit and, and piss and stuff like that. Um, this part, this last part of the episode is truly not meant for children. You've been warned again. The real question that popped into my head the other day was, do astronauts masturbate while in space? Yes, see what I mean? Um, I thought there's got to be some psychological thing to it. You know, some missions are brief, like Alan Shepard's brief flight in 1961 where he peed himself. But what about astronaut uh, Scott Kelly's mission that was 340 days long, stay on the International Space Station? Are you, are you telling me he went that long without climaxing? 
and still was able to keep a cool head? I don't think so. And there's got to be other things, other things going on here. I thought it can't just be done willy-nilly masturbating or the ISS would look like a snow globe with, with floating ejaculate flying around at all times. And that image, that thought, not image, but that, that thought in my head really made me laugh internally. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is funny. I'm doing an episode on it, but it's also, you know, it's a logistics problem. Then I thought, you know, do they shoot it out into space? Like, is there like a special, <laughs> special masturbation port? on the international space station i don't know and then i <laughs> then i thought okay well if there is if people are staying up here over a year like scott kelly was just under a year there's been some cosmonauts that have been in space over a year people are doing that they have there has to be some release even if they're not officially allowed to or not supposed to or whatever i guarantee there's enough people now that have been in space for an extended period of time that ha there has to be someone that came in space right so <laughs> So if it's unofficial and they're just trying to get away with it, then what did they do to get away with it? How did they do that? If it is official, if, if, if mission control back on Earth is like, look, we, you're human. We're all human. It's going to happen. We have we come up with this device to make it most sanitary, whatever. That would make sense too, right? But that would mean <laughs> some engineer who studied all his life <laughs> worked his ass off and, and it did, did degree after degree to become an, an engineer he gets a dream job at nasa and they're like we need you to come up with a cum port this <laughs> those thoughts made me laugh and that's what that's what really popped into my head that's why i did this episode and i was like well my my podcast isn't very explicit usually this one is going to be so i was like well what about pooping and that's that's kind of like so yeah there, that's what all the warnings are about luckily I wasn't the only one who thought this would be an interesting topic. Vice did an article about it. <laughs> would you believe it? Vice's Shamani Joshi, uh, she's a Gen Z focused culture or culture reporter who curates conversations on tech, drugs, sex, and unconventional lifestyles. That's literally all of Vice. That's what they all do: drugs, sex, tech, all that stuff. Um, she wrote an article titled "Can Astronauts Masturbate in Space." An investigation. <laughs> it's good. Now we know uh, SpaceX might come with with significant logistical difficulties, but what about self pleasure? That was like the subtitle uh, for the article. Now apparently, sex in space, contrary to how Carl Sagan wrote about it in his famous book adapted to a Hollywood movie, Contact, is not fun. I, I just recently listened to the very long, unabridged Contact book. It was great, but there's a lot of talk about how sex is unimaginably great and in space in the book. That's what how Carl Sagan wrote about it. There's like billionaires who live up in space and they're like, oh, you can do so many things. And I was like, huh, yeah, I guess on first thought that would make sense. You know, zero G, you can do a lot greater things. Um, but, <laughs> it, you know, they, he said it was great. Um, but uh, this is in stark contrast of what I found out. When I was looking stuff up for this podcast episode, it's not great. Apparently, zero G makes it hard to hold on to your partner and to stay in any desired position. I don't know. Maybe they're not doing it right. Maybe we have to maybe, you know, thousands, hundreds of years from now, humans will be in zero G a lot more often and they'll figure out better ways to do it. I don't know. But right now, zero G is a horrible environment for sex. And there, I, I saw a couple articles about it. So 
I that's that's new. Um, plus, having your expensively trained astronauts bumping uglies is an unnecessary risk to the mission. Think about it psychologically. When people do the deed, drama is bound to follow. And these are people who are the most isolated people ever. I can't say on Earth because they're not. They're not on Earth. They're so isolated. They have so much expensive equipment, so much training. And if something goes wrong, they can't just take a walk. They literally can't go outside. So. You don't want that happening. They're all coworkers up there too. So when coworkers down on Earth who can take a walk have sex, it's usually horrible. That's why HR was invented. <laughs> Human resources was an entire department invented for that. So those are the realistic arguments against sex in space, and NASA doesn't really ever entertain any questions related to it.、Um, you, they've been asked, they don't answer. But what about just cranking one out? You know, on your own, a solo mission, if you will. <laughs> Here's a paragraph directly from the Vice article. A few years ago, Marjorie Jenkins, a NASA advisor and expert on sex and gender health, wrote in a paper titled "Effects of Sex and Gender on Adaptations to Space: Reproductive Health." That ejaculation was essential for men to avoid the risk of bacteria buildup in their prostate, which could then lead to. Genitourinary infections. Many studies also conclude that masturbation is a great way to relieve stress and anxiety. So it would make sense for someone in a high-pressure space mission to want some form of escape. So I, I've already hypothesized the whole, you know, release of stress and anxiety, but I had no idea that there could be bacteria build up in the prostate. Had no idea. So there's even like a physical health risk to not nutting for too long. Didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that. While NASA won't discuss their astronauts beating it in space, Russian cosmonauts don't seem to have an issue、uh, on that subject. I, I think it's funny. Us Americans were so uptight about sex compared to other countries. It seems. Now, to be fair, I do understand why NASA doesn't want to talk about it. I don't. I don't negatively think bad about NASA for not talking about it. It degrades the little amount of privacy these astronauts have up there on that station, being on camera all the time. But I'm just curious. Of the logistics of it, you know. So I'm glad the cosmonauts opened up and talked about it a little bit. Valery Polyakov, a retired cosmonaut, kept a diary and said, "Psychological support service sent us some nice, colorful movies, which helped to recover our will to act like a normal adult male. There is nothing to be ashamed of." Valery even said his higher ups told him to pack a sex doll for his 14-month stay in space. That's a record. 14 months. 14 months. You're telling me <laughs> expected not to nut? No, his his superiors are like, no, we're gonna send you some porn. Um, you'll be great. Maybe bring a sex doll. But Valeri was like, no, I'm not bringing a sex doll. He was honestly fearful that he might fall in love with the doll. That amount of time, I do get it. He might fall in love with the doll over an actual woman. Your, your mind might go a little skewed. So he didn't bring the doll. Now. I mentioned cameras being fixed on the astronauts all the time, but the Vice article pointed out that the astronauts actually control these cameras and could probably just have the cameras avert their gaze, and they could quote rub one out while they're having a shower or when huddled in their phone booth-sized sleeping quarters. <laughs> so there's ways around it. There are people nutting in space. Has to be. Then comes the final question, the last tidbit to satiate my curiosity. What happens to the cum? What happens to the actual ejaculate? Oh, I, I know I'm so immature. I know this is. <laughs> I hope some of my regular listeners, like my grandma, doesn't hear this one, or like my aunt doesn't stump. This isn't the first one she listens to in, in months. 
<laughs> but I did warn everybody, and I think it's interesting. Here's what Vice said. Quote, Finally, there's also the question of what happens to the cum if an astronaut were to touch themselves. While tissues and wipes are uh, available on the spacecraft, they may choose to dispose of these bodily fluids the same way they throw out piss, by dumping it in space where it freezes into ice crystals. Not quite the big bang you imagined. So you remember that quote that I read from Tracy Gregg earlier? <laughs> well, here's my unabridged version. <laughs> Tracy Gregg said, if you've ever seen a shooting star, it might have been a meteorite burning up an Earth's atmosphere, or it might have been flaming astronaut poo. Here's my unabridged version, or apparently flaming astronaut nut. <laughs> this is so... <laughs> Thank you for listening, Huda Thunkers. <laughs> I, had a, I had a ball doing this episode, and I hope I didn't offend anybody. Just all good, good old-fashioned fun. Thank you to those astronauts and cosmonauts and anybody who's forging our adventure and our, and our, our sense of ex our human exploration into space. This was not a jab at any of you. You're just human like the rest of us. And I wanted to see how humanity, a very salacious side of humanity, fared up there in space. So I hope you enjoyed and tune in next time. <laughs>